Alright, let's take our Bibles this evening to John chapter number 15. My favorite chapter in the Bible, John chapter number 15. And I was, uh, as I was preparing this sermon, I thought I probably have read this chapter out of the Bible as much or more so than any other chapter. I love this chapter and I love to preach out of it. I've preached out of it plenty of times, but uh, never covering the whole chapter in one sermon. So, uh, glad that, that you're here this evening, and I hope that the sermon will be an encouragement to you. I hope you came to church hungry. A lot of people come to church, and they're spiritually full. And if you come to church, and you're not ready to receive a, a, something from the Word of God, then it doesn't matter what I say or don't say. It doesn't matter whether I preach or someone else preaches. You need to come with a hungry appetite. I've sat in church services and thought to myself, this guy is boring. Sometimes you may think that when I preach. This guy is boring. And you know what? Even if the preacher is boring, uh, the uh, Word of God can still greatly impact your heart. Uh, that just depends on the attitude that you bring when you come. I hope you come with the right attitude tonight. John chapter 15, uh, we're going to begin in verse 5 and read down through verse 8 by way of opening. If you would stand for the reading of the Bible, stand for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 15 We'll read from verse 5 down through verse number 8. The Bible says, I am the vine, Jesus speaking here, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me... And my words abide in you. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. Read the rest of the verse with me, will you? That ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. The title of the sermon this evening out of John 15 is, How a Christian Bears Fruit. How a Christian Bears Fruit. I want to be a Christian that bears fruit. And I believe you do too. That's why you came tonight. Well, Jesus is the one that teaches us how, what does that even mean to bear fruit? What does that look like? Am I doing it? Are you doing it? Those are some things we need to consider this evening. Let's talk about that tonight. Let's pray. Lord, help me as I preach. Lord, uh, there's no better way of saying uh, what's already been said in your word. But Lord, as we expound and explain, and Lord, we... Uh, preach, I pray that um, you take the message tonight and use it in each of our hearts to encourage us to do those things that many of us already know we're supposed to do. Lord God, convict us where our lifestyle is not in line uh, with the Bible. And Lord, help us to be uh, people of high enough character to where we can make those changes and Lord, be better for it. Thank you how you worked in our hearts this morning as we looked at the bus ministry. My prayer is that many people will still pray about and consider joining the bus ministry and serving in the bus ministry. They would deny themselves and, Lord, help the weak. Lord, as we look tonight about bearing fruit, I pray, God, the sermon from this morning and the sermon this evening would be, uh, Lord, uh, brought together as one sermon that we've looked at all day long. Be with us now this evening. Lord, encourage us, motivate us, challenge us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Look there at verse 8, and look there at that first phrase. That first phrase there in verse 8 is so important. It says, herein is my Father glorified. You see that there? 
Herein is my Father glorified. That right there can sum up much of the Bible. In fact, that right there sums up the theme of the Bible. The theme of the Bible is for mankind to bring glory to God. If mankind lives their life to bring glory to God, then everything else naturally falls into its place. And here Jesus says, here Jesus says to the disciples, here is how you glorify the Father. You do so by bearing much fruit. I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, I want to know that I lived my life to glorify God and to bring glory to His name. This was what Jesus gave His life to do. He gave His life to bring glory to the Father. Turn over to John 14. Just back one chapter. John 14. And look with me at verse 13. Jesus said, I have come to live my life so that the Father would be glorified. I want the Father to be glorified by how I live my life. Verse 13, Jesus said, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus said, If you ask anything in my name, I'm going to do it so that the Father can be glorified in the Son. God the Son came so that God the Father could receive the glory and the honor and the praise. And we know one day that the Lord Jesus will have His name lifted up and Him being God, He'll have glory and honor and praise Himself. But the first time Jesus came, He came to be compliant to the Father, to obey the Father, so that the Father could receive the glory. Now, when God created you, He did so for the purpose of you bringing Him glory. That's why He made you. He did not make you so that you could be entertained. He did not make you so that you could be comfortable. He did not make you so that your life could be as easy as possible. He did not make you so that you could find wealth and be rich. He did not make you so that you could go through life uh, 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 selling down uh, the, the, the road of, 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 of smooth, uh, or rather uh, uh, floating down the ocean of smooth seas. God created you to bring Him glory. And sometimes we have to hurt to bring Him glory. Sometimes we go through struggles to bring God glory. But at the end of the day, everything we do ought to be to bring God glory. Uh, Herein is my Father glorified, verse 8 says, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. We talked, we talked about this earlier this year, but if you planted an apple tree, you took a seed and planted that in the ground, and then you went out and you pulled the weeds around where you planted that seed, and then you put fertilizer down and you checked the pH balance in the soil to make sure it was just right. And, and then that little sprout comes out of the ground and you, you very carefully watch over that and make sure that that sprout turns into a full-blown uh, baby apple tree. And then year after year, you look after that apple tree and you clean it and you purge it and you prune it and you get it to where it's ripe and ready and it enters that first year of where it should be producing apples and you go out and all of a sudden there are no apples on that apple tree, you'd be disappointed. 
Then you go out the next year and you work it extra hard. You, you go buy uh, another level of fertilizer and you put that down. And uh, you call a farmer who, who, who takes care of apple trees and you get advice from him and you do all the things you can to help that apple tree have success. And then you come out and there's no fruit. And year after year after year, you realize eventually that tree's not going to give me any fruit. You know what you call that tree? You call it a failure. That tree is a failure. And understand this, when the Lord saved you, He did not save you to just roll into heaven on as easy of a path as possible. He saved you to bear fruit. And if you don't do that, my friend, you are a failure as a Christian. Jesus said... Abiding in me and I in you, the natural, uh, the natural production of that is fruit bearing. You will bear fruit. You don't have to force it. It happens on its own. So let's talk about that. What is the fruit of the Christian? What is the fruit of the Christian? I remember when I was a teenager, I was attending a, a church with my family and the pastor got up and he preached uh, verse by verse, like I'm doing here. He preached verse by verse through John chapter 15. And you know what he said? He said the fruit of the Christian is the fruit of the Spirit. He said the fruit of the Christian are the nine fruits found in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. He said, if you are producing fruit as a Christian, then these nine fruits will be evidenced in your life. My dad about fell on the floor. Oh, my dad was so upset. Now, he didn't tell me in the moment, but years later after we left that church, he brought that up to me. He said, do you remember when that preacher preached that? I said, yeah. He said, that was wrong. He said, I even went and sat in the pastor's office and told him it was wrong. And we had a long debate over that. Can I tell you that the fruit, listen now. This is so important in the message. A lot of you have been looking down the whole time. You're not looking up at me. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, you look at your cell phones. I can't see. If you hold the phone down low enough, I can't see that you're looking at your phone. So maybe we need to, Pastor Andrew, when we renovate, we need to raise the platform. And then we'll be able to see what people are doing down, uh, down below the pew there. But uh, uh, let me make sure I have your attention tonight. Amen? Uh, listen, the fruit of the Spirit is not the same thing as the fruit of a Christian. They're not the same thing. Now, I think you should be a person who has love and joy and peace. We teach that all the time. As you yield to the Holy Spirit of God, those fruits are going to become evidenced in your life. But that is not the fruit of a Christian. What is the fruit of a Christian? You listening? The fruit of a Christian is another Christian. That's the fruit of a Christian. Pastor, prove it. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. There's a direct connection between the fruit of a Christian and winning souls laid out right there for us in the Bible. If you are a Christian and you are abiding in Christ, then you're going to bear fruit. So that brings me to a very pointed question that I want to ask you right here, right now. When was the last time that you led someone to accept Christ as their Savior? Some Christians have never done it. Other Christians haven't done it in over a year. Hey, 
If I'm abiding in Christ, the natural production is that I will produce fruit. And if I'm not producing fruit, then I am not abiding in Christ. If you are not producing fruit, then you are not produce, you are not abiding in Christ. Now we can make excuses all day, but we're not abiding in Christ. A lot of Christians won't even give out a track. A lot of people won't even open their mouth and tell you about the Lord. You say, man, this is, this is, this, you're stepping on my toes, pastor. Move on. How is it that we win souls? We win souls by abiding in Christ. Now, we do this through our lips. Take your Bible over to Matthew chapter 5 with me, if you would. How is it that we win souls? We must use our lips. You must be out there telling people about the gospel. Hey, little, a little um, obvious statement here. If you don't open your mouth and tell people about Jesus, you cannot lead people to the Lord. Can't be done. You know what the gospel is? It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Now let me give you an example here. Let's say something happened that was newsworthy. And I mean it truly was newsworthy. On a level where it should be broadcasted on news media channels all over the world. Something happened that was so epic, so grand, grandiose, so spectacular, that this is something that every news media outlet ought to pick up and run with. And then no one were to put it on TV. Would anybody know about it? Let me give you an example. Let's say that on September 11th, uh, 2001, when the, the trade towers were hit, this is one of those level of news stories that made it around the globe and still gets talked about. But let's say that every single media outlet and everyone with a camera boycotted the idea of telling anyone that this had happened. What have you heard about it? You probably would have heard about it from somebody somewhere. But can I tell you that it would have been deeply suppressed? Do we all know what it means to take a news story and suppress it? Are we all enough news watchers where we know what it means to take a story and suppress it? You bury it, you hide it, you don't talk about it. You know what the White House does? I don't care who the president is. You know what the White House does when they have a news story they don't want broadcasted? They let it out on a Friday afternoon of a holiday weekend. And they know no one's going to talk about it. And by the time the weekend news is over, you know what? No one's talking about it. You know what? The greatest news in the world is not what happened on September 11th or what happened on December 7th, 1941. It's not what happened on October 7th of this year over in Israel. The greatest news story that's ever happened is the fact that Jesus Christ came, He died, He rose again from the dead. But if Christians do not open up their mouth and act as a media to broadcast that good news to a lost and dying world, how is anybody going to know? How is anybody going to find out? How is anybody going to put their faith and trust in Christ? If I ask ten people, how did you get saved? You know, nine of them tell me someone took the Bible and explained it to me. One of the ten will say, I figured it out on my own. Most people need you to open up their mouth, uh, your mouth and tell them. We have the good news. But what good is it if we don't open up our mouth and tell others? So we must broadcast 
the good news with our lips, but we also broadcast the good news with the way we live our lives. Look at Matthew 5, look at verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know what this means? This means everywhere I work, everywhere I go, there ought to be a light that shines out in front of me. I get in my car and I go to Walmart at 10 o'clock at night to buy something. And I go walking in the store and there is a light out in front of me. You know what that is? Hey, can I invite you to church? Can I tell you about the Lord? Can I encourage you? Uh, Hey, can I pray for you? I'm sitting at a restaurant and I've got a waiter or waitress who comes up to my table and I uh, engage them in conversation. Hey, I'm a Christian. Is there something I could pray with you over? I'm getting ready to pray for my meal. My light is shining before me. Now, is the purpose of me doing this so that I can be glorified? No. The purpose of me doing this is so that my Father in heaven can be glorified. You see Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? Your Father which is in heaven. John chapter 15, verse 8, herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Everywhere I go, my lips and my lifestyle ought to be proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. So as we go through John 15, we're going to talk about the bearing of spiritual fruit. We're going to talk about how we go about doing this. This is not, listen now, this is not something that's forced. This is something that is the natural byproduct of being obedient to John 15. Let me ask you a question this evening. Please participate if you're out in the audience listening tonight. How many of you would say, Pastor Lejeune, I want to be a Christian that bears fruit. Would you raise your hand? I want to be a Christian. Is there anyone here tonight that would say, I do not want to be a Christian that bears fruit? Would you raise your hand? All right, then by default, I'm going to assume everybody here tonight wants to be a Christian that bears fruit. Well, let's look at what Jesus says about how to do that. And uh, we're going to dive into the text. We're going to go through the entire chapter here tonight and take this apart a little bit at a time. All right, number one, notice, we bear fruit by abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. You must abide in Christ. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here. Letter A, notice our purifying. Our purifying. Look back at verse number 1 there with me. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Look at verse 3. Read that with me. Ready? Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Verse 3 talks about being clean. Being clean. Now let's talk about this in agricultural terms. How do you clean a branch and its vine? Well, you, you don't uh, give it a bath, scrub it down with soap and water. You, you clean it by getting out there and pulling up the weeds. Right? You're going to get those weeds out uh, that suck up the nutrients out of the soil that should go to that vine and its branch. How else do you clean it? Well, uh, you get out there and not only do you pull the weeds, you, you prune away the dead branches. You, you get out there and you cut away those things that are a waste and, and you, 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 you refine it. You bring it in. Now, when a person gets saved, the Holy Spirit takes on the role of purifying us. You know what that means? That means He comes in with those snips. And he starts cutting away things that ought not be in our lives. Hey, there's some 
behaviors that need to go. There's some dead branches in your life that don't belong there. I'm going to snip this off and I'm going to take this away and I'm going to take that away. And, and hey, you've allowed some weeds in your heart to grow up. Some weeds of laziness and uh, some weeds of selfishness and, 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 and some weeds of bad entertainment choices and some weeds of private sins that are happening there on that cell phone teenager, on that cell phone adult. And I'm going to get in there and I'm going to pull those weeds out of the soil so that uh, the nutrients of God's Word can make it up through that branch uh, and into that vine and can produce that fruit. We need a purifying to take place in our hearts. Many Christians are not producing for the Lord because they're saddled with sin. They're filthy with sin. And they need that purifying. Take your Bibles to Psalm 119 and verse number 9. Such a rich, rich passage. The entire 119th Psalm is just wonderful. But three of my favorite verses in this lengthy Psalm are Psalm 119, 9, 10, and 11. And when I was battling sin in my teenage years and needing help, I turned to these verses oftentimes and would ask God to forgive me over sin and ask God to give me victory. And these verses I would read and memorize so that God could give me that victory. Look at verse 9 there. The Bible says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Boy, isn't that the question? How do you cleanse your way? You have this purifying that needs to take place in your heart. Look at there. By taking heed thereto according to thy word. What does it mean to take heed? That means that you are paying attention to the Bible. And you know what else it means? You're putting into practice the Bible. Hey, this isn't just reading my Bible, closing it and going on in my day. This isn't showing up to church, listening to Pastor Lejeune and an animated form preach the Bible and then going home and going about my week. This is, I'm going to be proactive with the Scripture, I'm going to understand the Scripture, and I'm going to put into practice the Scripture. And you know what happens? It cleanses us. Look back at verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy, uh, to thy word with my... What are those next two words? Let me hear you. With my what? With my whole heart have I sought thee. My whole heart, Lord. You can have all of it. I want you to have all of my heart. I'm not just going to section off some of it to keep back for myself. Lord, take my heart and cleanse it and wash it and purify it. Make me pure. With my whole heart have I sought Thee. Oh, let me not wander from Thy commandments. Verse 11, read it with me, church. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against Thee. Hiding it means not only that you memorize it, but that you learn how to put it into practice and it's deep, deep, deep down inside of you. If I'm going to abide in Christ, then I need to be purified from my sin. Letter A, our purifying. Letter B, back in John 15, we see our producing. Our 
are producing. Now look at verse 4, and we see here that producing fruit for the Lord is not a forced behavior. It is the natural byproduct of walking with God. Look at verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them in the fire, and they are burned. They are burned. Uh, When I spend time with someone that I look up to and admire, I become passionate about the things uh, that they are Passionate. I remember at the age of, let's see here, 25, age of 25, I got hired to work at Granite Baptist Church as an assistant pastor. I was the children's pastor and I was the Spanish pastor. That was a fun ministry to work at. They had a, a, a pretty decently large Christian school and that Christian school had a basketball team, a men's varsity team and a, a, a girls varsity team and also a boys junior varsity team. And I love basketball. I love being around high school basketball. And they had a very good basketball team. In fact, they were winning tournaments and winning championships. They would play teams and beat them like 80 to 12. I mean, they were just way better than other teams. And the reason was because they had a deacon at the church who was a basketball coach. And this guy was an excellent basketball coach. In fact, those of you that know a little bit about high school basketball, he amassed well over uh, 500 wins. And when you only play a handful of games a year, it takes a long time to get to that point. And he knew his X's and O's. I am still of the opinion that he could have coached basketball on a Division One college level and been very successful. He was a great basketball coach. He had a, a, a very great personality. And you know what I enjoyed? I enjoyed, after I got done with work with the church, going into that gymnasium and uh, being around him and being around the guys. He ended up making me his assistant coach. And, and then after a year of doing that, they came to me and said, hey, the girls need a coach. Would you be the varsity girls coach? So you know what I did? I took the playbook from the boys and I made it for the girls. And the girls had just about the same playbook as the guys. You know why I became passionate about basketball in that style? Because I was around someone who was passionate about that. Let me give you another example and then I'll, I'll get to the main point I'm trying to make here. When I was a teenager, I moved uh, to the state of Alabama and in my Christian school I attended, there was a young man named David Smith and David was fanatical about NASCAR. NASCAR. Uh, How many of you here have ever gotten into NASCAR on any level? I didn't think so. Oh, Brother John, we have one. That's because he's from the deep south. Amen? (laughs) Way down there in uh, Columbia. He's from the deep, deep, deep south. Amen? Uh, NASCAR. Watching a car make four left turns for three hours. You say, oh, that is so boring. But man, my friend David, he was in the ninth and 10th grade with me. He was all about NASCAR. I mean, Dale Earnhardt, Jeff Gordon, uh, Ricky Rudd, uh, Tony Stewart, the names would go on. And, and I'd come to school, and I mean, he was so excited to talk about uh, changing tires in a pit stop and all uh, 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 
just regulating the speed and Talladega versus Daytona. On he would go talking about these things. And you know what I found myself doing as I spent time around David? I found myself getting excited about NASCAR. Now, that was a very short, brief season of my life. We moved away from Alabama, and immediately it dropped off, all right? But while I was around David, I could tell you about restrictor plates, and I could tell you about pit crews and pit crew chiefs, and, 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 and I got, David come spend the night at my house, he would bring his PlayStation game, back when they came in a CD form, his PlayStation NASCAR game, and we'd sit in my living room, and we would play uh, NASCAR on the PlayStation, and oh, he was just got so excited about that. We'd go out together, and uh, we would race go-karts together, and I mean, he would just run me in the wall and spin me out. He, he thought that was hilarious, and you know why I was passionate about NASCAR? Because I had been in the presence of David, and he was passionate about NASCAR. Now, church, I'm going to tell you that while you may not be passionate about basketball or NASCAR, you are passionate about something. Everybody here is passionate about something. There's a bunch of grandparents in the room tonight. I know what you're passionate about. You're passionate about those grandkids. You love them grandbabies. Bunch of parents in the room tonight. You're passionate about your children. I was talking to Miss Callie this morning. I said, are you a shutterbug? And she said, I am with my children. I take lots of pictures. And uh, not more than Angela, but I take... No, she didn't say that. But uh, I take lots of pictures, all right? Uh, everybody's passionate about something. Everybody's passionate about something. And can I tell you this? If you're spending time in the presence of the Lord Jesus, you will be passionate about the salvation of the souls of men. You will be. Not that you might be. You will be. You show me a Christian who yawns at soul winning, I'll show you a Christian who does not read their Bible and pray. I know that's a bold statement. But you cannot spend time in the presence of Jesus and not be passionate about people being saved. You don't ever give out a track. You don't ever give out the gospel. You don't know how to give out the gospel. Then, my friend, you're not spending time with Jesus. You're just not. You say, Pastor, I'm sorry. That's not my forte. That's not something I'm good at. Listen, the Lord recruited 12 disciples to Himself of all different personality types. Some were extroverted like uh, uh, like Peter. Uh, others were introverted and didn't want to speak out as much. But you know what? All of them died a martyr's death because they were proclaiming the name of Jesus because after three and a half years of being in His presence, they could not help but speak the things which they had seen and heard. And you tell me tonight that you walk with God, but you don't give one iota of a desire to pass out a track and tell someone about the Lord. My friend, you don't walk with Jesus. Because you will be passionate about the thing that He's passionate about. As we walk with the Lord, we cannot help but tell others about uh, the Gospel. Look at Matthew chapter 9 with me in verse number 36. Matthew 9. You see, when Jesus came to earth, He was so busy telling broken people about salvation that he would do whatever was necessary to make that happen. He was home excuse me, he was homeless. 
He lived a homeless life so he could maximize his life telling others. He lived a simple life, a a, a pushing away from the nice things of life so that his whole life's purpose could be the gospel. Luke 19 verse 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his mission statement. Look at Matthew 9 verse 36. And if you spend time with the Lord, this will become your heartbeat. The Bible says, And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest, I can see a tear in the eye of our Savior as he's saying this, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And I have preached with a lot of energy tonight, but let me just calmly ask you a question. Do you think that our Lord's prayer request all these years later has changed? If the harvest was great when Jesus walked the earth, how much greater is it today? And people that do the counting tell us there's 8 billion people walking the earth. There were less than a billion people alive when Jesus was alive. There is more people to be reached now than ever in the history of this planet. If the laborers were few when Jesus walked the earth, how much more true is that today? My friend, you can't spend time in the presence of the Lord Jesus and not become passionate about producing for Him. It hurts my heart to stand up Sunday after Sunday and year after year and beg this church to take up this cause and see people sit on the pew and yawn, shrug their shoulders, and refuse to do it. I'm not offended over your inaction. Because I don't think it matters who who would stand up here and say it. I don't take it personal. But I guess I just want to know. What's it going to take to wake you up? We've got to quit playing games. We've got to quit acting like we love Jesus by coming to church and dressing nice and talking nice. Who cares if you know how to teach a class or, 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 or work in nursery or pass an offering plate? Listen, I'm not saying those things aren't important. They have their place. But if you can walk by a total stranger knowing they're going to hell and, and you don't feel something down in your heart, your heart is in a very dark and cold place. If I'm abiding in Christ and His words are abiding in me, then producing fruit just happens. Hey, look at me, church. If I'm abiding in Christ and He's abiding in me, no one's got to tell me to go out soul winning. I'm there doing it. I'm I'm passionate about it. I, I can't help but do it. The gospel message of the Lord saving Souls just comes flowing out of my mouth. 
letter C, we see our praying. Look at John 15, verse 7. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Last week we talked about the importance of having deep unity in our relationship with Christ. Deep unity. Here's what happens when you reach that deep unity with Christ. I mean where the Lord, you are so close to the Lord as you walk with Him, as you talk with Him, as you listen to Him. What happens is His words abide in you as you abide in Him. And the natural prayer that you pray to the Lord are the things that He wants to give you. You don't have to ask God amiss. No, you pray and the prayers that you pray are the words that the Lord puts in your heart. And as a result, He gives you those prayers. He gives you those requests. He answers those requests. As I get on my knees and I pray for my wife and I ask God to make her an even more godly woman and uh, God gives me insight on how to pray for my wife and all of a sudden the words of the Lord are abiding in me and I know exactly how to pray for Angela and Angela knows exactly how to pray for me and I know exactly how to pray for my children and my children know exactly how to pray for me because as I'm walking with God, God shows me and teaches me how to pray. Hey, Christian, if you are abiding in Christ, prayer is just as natural as soul winning is. You can't help but do it. You can't help but talk to the Lord. Because you and Him are so interconnected that it, His words flow in you and out of you and His words flow, flow from heaven to your soul and from your soul back up to heaven. How do we produce fruit? Well, number one, we must abide in Christ. I, I could stop the sermon right here and give an invitation because I think that many of us, we're not abiding in Christ like we ought to. We're playing pretend on this thing. But Jesus had a lot more to say on it. Number one, abiding in Christ. Number two, affection for Christ. From verse 9 down uh, through about verse 17, he puts a strong emphasis on the affection and love that you have for Christ. Now, 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, Paul gives us the gifts of the Christian. In chapter 13, he takes the time to talk about the importance of loving God and loving others as the motive of why we use those gifts within the context of the church body. Hear what I'm about to say. This is to all of the soul winners in the room. If you're producing fruit, but but you're not in love with the Lord, then you have missed the point altogether. God wants you to have an intimate relationship with Him along the way. Look with me at verse 9. John 15, verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, So have I loved you. Look here. Continue ye in my love. See that? Continue ye in my love. So the Father hath loved me, and uh, Jesus said, and I have loved you. Now I want you all to continue in that love. How do we maintain that deep love for God? Look at letter A. Notice our compliance. Our compliance. 
Uh, look down with me at verse number 10. Look at the importance put on obedience. Jesus says, love and obedience are interconnected. You cannot claim you love me if you're not willing to obey me. And you cannot claim uh, obedience without love. Those two work together. Look at verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be Full. So Christ tells us plainly, if you want to stay in love with me, then choose to love me by obeying my commandments. What does that look like practically? Look down at verse 17. Verse 17. These things I command you that ye love one another. So here it is. Uh, if you want to be a disciple of Christ, you have to choose to love others. You have to be proactive in choosing to love others. So let me just ask you tonight. Do you love others? Do you love others more than you love yourself? Do you love those that are easy to love? Let's start with that one right there. Some of us love ourselves so much, we can't even take the time to love the people that are easy in our path. You ever had, I I, uh, jokingly say sometimes, to know me is to love me. To know me is to love me. But not everyone loves me. How many of you have someone in your life who doesn't exactly, you don't have to raise your hand, but have someone in your life who doesn't exactly love you, right? fact they don't like you they just flat out don't like you and you think man why doesn't that person love me you ever had someone who didn't love you and you thought i'm going to make it my task to get that person to love me and i mean you tried everything you found out what their favorite drink was and you bought it for them and gave it to them you you got them a, a you got them something nice you you send them a nice text message you complimented them maybe on social media uh, you found some way to kind of kind of kind of kind of uh, float out a compliment their way and it seemed like the harder you tried to love them the more they decided they didn't like you you ever have that happen no, I'm the only one? Okay. Some of you sitting out there, I can't stand you, Pastor. Quit complimenting me, okay? Uh, but uh, listen, let's start with that one. Can you love the people that are easy to love? Uh, can you love those who are difficult to love? Do you love your neighbor? Do you love your enemy? Do you love your spouse? Do you love your children? Do you love your parents? And I'll, I'll save the hardest one for last. Do you love your in-laws? Amen. Thank God for in-laws. Outlaws. In-laws. Amen. Should I, tell, should I insert mother-in-law joke here? No, we'll leave that one alone. You cannot love God while you hate your brother. It is not possible. Our compliance. We must obey His commands. Letter B. Our commitment. Our commitment. Look with me at John 15, verse 12. Jesus teaches, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. This is, this is, this is deep right here, church. Look at 13. Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, I'm going to tell you what just happened for most of us in the room. We miss the truth in these verses because we're so familiar with the verses. Look back at verse 12 and forget that you know these verses. And read them carefully. Look here, verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another. Look at that next phrase. As I have loved you. How do you love someone as much as the Lord has loved you? Look at verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Did you catch it? Do you see it? How much do you love others? 
You are supposed to love others as much as Christ loves you. Well, how much did Christ love you? Let me ask someone in the crowd here. How much did Christ love you? Pastor Andrew, how much did Christ love you? Enough to lay down his life. This is heavy. How much are you to love your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ? Enough to die for them. Are you that committed? You say, well, I I would lay down my life for uh, someone who uh, loves me. That's not what the Bible says. You're supposed to be willing to lay down your life for someone even if they're not nice to you. They're your brother in Christ. Some of you in this room tonight won't even look at a sister in the Christ or a brother in Christ because one time, one time, they weren't nice to you. If I were to go to you and say, man, listen, someone's really having a tough time. Are you willing to lay down your life? Lay down my life for him. I won't even look at him. I won't even talk to him. Buy them a Christmas present. I hope they, I hope they get a lump of coal in their stocking for Christmas this year. You know what? I hope they have a bad day tomorrow. That is not the attitude of someone who is producing fruit. Let me tell you right now, you will not be a man or woman who produces fruit for Christ if you hold animosity and hurt and anger in your heart towards someone who's wronged you. You have to get yourself to a place, Christian, where you're willing to lay down your life for the brethren. Our commitment. How do you how do you produce fruit? There has to be a deep affection for God that runs so deep down in your heart. You say, Pastor Lejeune, that seems like an impossible request. Can I tell you how you get there? Can I, can I at least lay out the journey for you, how you get there? If you'll fall in love with God on a deep enough level, He'll show you exactly how to love your enemies. Let me ask tonight, how many of you here have at least one person who would call you or you would call them your enemy? Would you raise your hand? You have at least one person in your life who would, you would say, I have an animosity with this person in my life, whether it's their fault or your fault. Would you raise your hand? Hold them up. You have at least one person in your life. Okay, my hand's up. I don't have anyone in my life that I hate, but there's some people in my life that don't like me very much. All right? How do you love those people? How do you love them? By spending time with God and praying for them. You get on your knees and you pray for them. We want to... We want to waller around in self-pity. We want to waller around in the juices of bad emotion towards someone who's wronged us. Why don't you waller around in the love of God in prayer? Letter C, we see our companion. Look at verse 14. The Bible says, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, 
For the servant knoweth not what the Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that ye should go forth and bring, go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Wow. Um, this passage, this part of the chapter baffled me for many years. So we can go from being servants to friends. I know that I'm the servant of God, and and here I'm being told that I can cease to be a servant of God, and I can become a friend of God. And and how does all that make sense? And and then after some prayer and, and, and reading and, and deeper studying, really just reading the passage over and over again, the Lord showed me how it works. Part of the reason why I'm able to understand how this passage works is because my children have moved up to an age to where now I'm beginning to develop a little bit more of a friendship with my, with my children. I love to get in my car and go to the store, and I love when my kids are in the car with me. I, I really don't like going to the store by myself, especially when my children are available. Now, there are times where I need space and time to be by myself. We all, I think, have that. But the general rule is that if I'm leaving the house in the evening to go to the store, I'm asking one or both of those kids to get in the car with me so I can spend time with them. You know what I enjoy doing with Matthew? I enjoy talking about sports. If I've gotten something out of the Bible recently, I'll share it with him and I'll bounce it off of him and, and, and get his feedback and, 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 and the banter and the back and forth and the ribbing and the joking and the poking at and having fun. I enjoy a friendship with my teenage son. But did you know that there are times where me and Matthew are not friends? I am the Lord and he is the servant. Are you with me here? I am the parent and he is the child. Now, watch this. I can be Matthew's friend when Matthew is in compliance and is obeying the rules of the house. We can have that camaraderie of friendship. But the moment that Matthew steps out of line with following the rules, we go from friend-friend to father-son. And the rules and the law is getting laid down on Matthew. There are many people who do not know God on the level of friend-friend. Do you know why? Because they're constantly living in sin in their day-to-day life. And God is constantly having to correct them and correct them and correct them and correct them and correct them. And you know what? I feel for parents who have teenage kids who are constantly rebellious. Because you don't get to experience what it's like to have a fun relationship with your child. It's rules, 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 rules. Punishment, 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 punishment. And the the, the child-parent relationship is strained all the time. And it's hard all the time. And it's Lord's servant, not friend, friend. But boy, it sure is great when your children behave in such a way where the two of you can begin to almost forget that your father and and son or mother and daughter, and you can have a close-knitted, heartfelt relationship. And Jesus is saying to his disciples here, I feel so close to you all because you are in such compliance with what I want you to do that you're no longer my servants. Instead, you are my friends. 
I have that type of a companionship with you. And I want to say tonight that as you abide in Christ, like a branch, a vine abides in a branch, you know what happens? You drop off this Lord-servant feeling in a relationship. Is He your Lord? Yes. Are you His servant? Yes. But it begins to feel like the Lord is your friend. And you love Him. And you enjoy spending time with Him. You enjoy His presence. When was the last time, Christian, that you were in prayer with your head bowed and eyes closed and you almost felt like you could reach out and touch the throne of heaven because your close-knit, heartfelt relationship with the Lord ran so deep and was so real because your love for God was so rich and so real. How do you get to this point? You live in compliance with what God expects of you and there begins to become this intimacy with Christ that's deeply enjoyed. How do we produce fruit? Well, we know that we must abide in Christ and we know there must be affection for for Christ, but nothing in life is just that simple. Jesus finishes out the, the passage by talking about, number three, animosity against Christ. Animosity against Christ. The rest of the chapter, Jesus tells the disciples, "Listen, it's going to be some. Uh, there's going to be some uh, hardships along the way, and you're going to face some persecution as a result of being so close to me and tight knit with me." Letter A. Speaking of those who do the persecuting, notice their hatred explained. Their hatred explained. Look down at verse number 18. If the world hate you. Ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Jesus is teaching here that if they hate you, it is because they hate me. If they hate me, it is because they hate my Father. So, do you see how this works? Uh, I have this written down in my notes here. Maybe if you want to turn your half sheet over and write this down, you can do this. Here's what I have written down. Because the Father loves the Son, because the Father loves the Son, below that, the Son loves the disciples. So, because the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the disciples. Which leads to the disciples loving each other. There's a chain reaction here. Because the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the disciples, which leads to the disciples loving each other. This starts at the top. The top domino is God the Father. He loves God the Son, which leads to God the Son loving us, which leads to us loving each other. Do you know why I love you all in this room? Because the Father loved the Son, and the Son loved me, and as a result, I love you. That's the only reason. Hey, are we understanding tonight that we would not know love if it wasn't for the God of love? You understand that? I cannot love you with a pure motive if it wasn't for the fact that I had the model of God's love laid out for me in the Word of God. God the Father loves the Son. God the Son loves uh, me and you. And as a result, we get to love each other. But watch this. The inverse is also true. The opposite is also true. And I have this down in my notes. Because someone hates God the Father, they hate God the Son. And which leads to them hating the disciples. 
So, because they hate the Father, in turn they hate the Son, and because they hate the Son, they hate His disciples. We, we take offenses so personal, don't we? I've been out soul winning with people, and, and I've, been, I've seen some pretty nasty things happen. Now, it's the norm. It's not the norm. Right? It's the exception to the rule, not the norm. But you know, Brother Okai, I've had people slam doors in my face. You know? Uh, I've told the story about me, me and Angela were out soul winning uh, in, um, in Maryland, and a guy took a track off the door and balled it up, cussed us out, and threw it at me. Okay? And uh, called the police on us, too. And uh, the police officer said, keep on going, man. You're doing a great job. And, and took off and left. But I've had some people do some pretty nasty things over the years. You know what Jesus said? If that stuff happens, kick the dust off your shoes and go on to the next door and just keep on going. Can I just tell you tonight, if someone is nasty toward you about your faith, it isn't you they have a problem with. They have a problem with God. To my church leaders here this evening. Sometimes, when we hold to a Bible position, and we do it with the right disposition, sometimes people are going to get nasty with you. You think, again, to know me is to love me. What's their problem? I'm not even doing anything to them. They're being so nasty my direction. It's not you they have a problem with. They have a problem with God. And you are the human representation of that. They're hating you as a result. Their hatred explained. It isn't you they hate. They hate your God. Letter B, we see their hypocrisy exposed. Look at chapter 15, look at verse 22. If I had not come, Jesus says, and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my Father also. If I had not done among them the works which, which none other man did, they had, had, they had not had sin. But now have they both uh, seen and hated both me and my Father. Um. You know what he's saying here? He's saying here, these people were very filthy on the inside, but they had themselves robed in a cloak that made themselves look outwardly beautiful and holy. And Jesus said, you know what I did when I came? I caused that cloak to be stripped away and their sinful heart to be laid bare. Hey, listen up to me. It isn't always the tattooed up, foul-mouthed atheists that are going to persecute you. Those kind of people... Uh, ended up at the feet of Jesus, being loved by Him. You know who Jesus had at His feet? People who were tattooed up in foul mouth. They were at His feet worshiping Him, wanting to grow. Who was it that persecuted Jesus? It was the religious crowd. It was the self-righteous crowd. They are the ones that hated Jesus. The sermons that Jesus preached pulled away their cloak and laid their sin bare. Uh, the works that Jesus did pulled back their cloak and exposed their raunchy and sinful hearts. I fully expect the devil-loving, sin-committing world to hate me. Fully expect it. What hurts is when those people who go to church and call themselves Christians attack. That hurts. 
Remember, it was religious elites who organized the, uh, the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I expect Satan to attack me. I expect it. But what I don't expect is someone who sits on the pews of this church, opens up their Bible on a Sunday or Wednesday. I don't expect you to attack me, and I don't, you shouldn't expect me to attack you. That's not right. Why do people do it? Because deep down inside, they're filled with the same thing the Pharisees were filled with. They're hypocrites. Letter C, the Holy Spirit's endorsement. Look with me at chapter 25, or 15, verse 25. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Jesus said, they hated me without a cause. But, I love this, when the Comforter is come whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Sometimes people may gaslight you over your faith. When people make you second-guess your fellowship of Christ, when people emphatically declare you're wrong, when people try to outwit you and debate you and try to show you up, God says, I will send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, and He will testify within your hearts that you uh, believe what is true and that you won't move off what is true. Uh, he will give you the words to speak in the face of great hostility. He will help you declare the truth regardless of how unkind it is received or how your faith is mocked. Bear fruit is the command of Christ. Bear fruit. Herein is my Father glorified, verse 8, that ye bear much fruit. So shall uh, men know that ye are my disciples. Bear fruit when the fields are soft and fertile. Bear fruit when the fields are hard. Bear fruit when you are healthy. Bear fruit when you are sick. Bear fruit when you are successful at work. Bear fruit when you have been fired or laid off from work. Bear fruit with your family. Bear fruit at your work. Bear fruit as you go shopping. Bear fruit in your neighborhood. Bear fruit in the winter. Bear fruit in the spring. Bear fruit in the summer. Bear fruit in the fall. Bear fruit in the morning. Bear fruit in the afternoon. Bear fruit in the evening. Bear fruit on any and every other day that ends in the letter Y. Bear fruit until Jesus takes you home by way of death or by the rapture. But whatever you do, get out there and and bear fruit for the Lord. How do we do this? By abiding in Christ and staying in love with Christ. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15 and we'll finish the sermon there this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 58. Oh, how important it is that we abide in Christ and we bear fruit. We're like that tree planted by the river of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season as Psalm 1 commands. Its leaf doth not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58. The Bible says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Finish out the verse with me. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We need to be busy bearing fruit. How does a Christian bear fruit? Christian, you need to abide in Christ. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you in love with Christ? And are you willing to hang in there even when the enemy takes shots at you and persecutes you? 
We need to be one with Christ. Are you bearing fruit? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. I made the statement in the introduction that if you walk with God naturally, you'll be a man or woman who leads folks to Christ. That is the natural outpouring of someone who walks with the Lord. A Christian who walks with God is a Christian who shares Christ with others. When was the last time you walked someone through the gospel? When was the last time that you passionately prayed over a lost soul? When was the last time the passion of Christ toward the lost overwhelmed your heart? Are you abiding in Christ? Are you in love with Christ? Is He your Lord and are you His servant or have you moved to a level where He is your friend? Lord God, I pray tonight You would work in each heart. Lord God, we come in here and we hear these same themes preached over and over again and it's easy for our hearts to grow cold and calloused toward these truths. Lord God, show us where our character is flawed, where our heart is stubborn. Peel back the callous off our heart. May Your love come flowing from us. Put tears in our eyes. Break our hearts. May we be a church full of people who bear fruit. Not by force, but Lord, just naturally. Because our walk with You is what it ought to be. Oh God, please, work in our hearts during this invitation. We ask this in Your name we pray.